This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 13, Episode 20. This is Writing Excuses, Fear and Writing with Emma Newman. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're terrified. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. I'm Elliot. (laughs) (laughs) With us, we have our special guest, who's terrifying Howard so much, Emma Newman. Emma, I'm excited that you're here. Tell us about yourself. Oh, hello. I'm an author, an audiobook narrator, and a podcaster, and also a role player. Well, awesome. Yay. I don't okay. get paid for the latter, though, So, we, <laughs> dear audience who is not actually here with us while recording, we are currently on the Writing Excuses Retreat. Let's get some love from the audience here. <laughs> awesome. Okay, and one of the things that we have heard nonstop, this is the last day of our week-long thing, uh, Emma's was the very first class at the retreat, and people have not stopped raving about it, and so we thought we have to get her up here and, and do an episode, so... So we, we want to talk about fear and writing. What, what do we want to talk about here? Uh, well, the whole reason I created the talk that I delivered at the beginning of the week was um, just sheer rage at all of the people who I saw tweeting or blogging who were professional authors who were saying, well, all you need to do to be a professional author is to just sit down and write, like, bum in chair, darling. <laughs> and I would just get so furious because... It's not that easy for everybody, and I don't actually believe it is easy for anyone, and that's just a very glib thing for them to say to kind of emphasise the fact that there is an element of self-discipline. And I understand that, but I feel that it kind of shut a lot of things out of the dialogue that we need to have about what, need, what work you need to do between the desire to write and the ability to actually begin writing. And so the talk kind of unpacked all of the reasons why we procrastinate And then what we can do when we've identified those underlying reasons on a practical level and an emotional level to enable us to be able to write as much as we want to. Awesome. I was really glad to hear you give that talk. And and I think that you were absolutely right to have it at the beginning of the week. Uh, One of the things that I want to highlight for you listeners is um, one of the things that can happen to you when you start to unpack the reasons that you are not writing is that you can discover that there's some other stuff going on. I I went on this journey myself, and, and I've uh, alluded to it on the podcast, that I, for years, was like, oh, I'm, an, I'm a procrastinator, and sometimes I get burnout, or I'm in a funk, and, um, and then realized, uh, after hearing other people talk about it, that actually what I was dealing with was depression, and that I needed different tools to deal with that because it was getting in the way of me writing. And the, the analogy that I often use is that it's, it's much like having dysentery, that you're afraid to leave the house, it makes everything a mess, you're miserable, and no one wants to talk about it. And you're going to lose the game of Oregon Trail. And you're going to lose the game of Oregon Trail. <laughs> Um, and, and so that's, that's one of the reasons that I was so excited to have you on is because people talking about uh, the various aspects of fear and depression um, is what got me to go to the doctor at, at the age of 45. Um, so hopefully, listeners, this, don't be, hopefully this will help you and don't be surprised if you're listening to this and thinking, oh, this doesn't concern me and then suddenly go, oh, oh, this is me. Mm. 
Mm. And one of the things that I wanted to achieve with the talk was opening a dialogue about mental illness as well. Um, I suffer from generalised anxiety disorder, so I was kind of speaking from experience of writing despite pretty much constant anxiety. And, and to continue the, the metaphor, to extend the metaphor with dysentery, there's also the fear that it will happen again. Yes. <laughs> and that, that never leaves you. You know, if you have a really terrible stomach bug, there's always the worry that it'll happen again at the worst time. And it is exactly the same yes. with mental illness, you know, when you're feeling better again. And, and if you can feel yourself returning to that state that where you were incapacitated the first time, um, one of the things that is oddly reassuring about going through a cyclic journey with your own mental illness is that when it happens again and again you can say actually I did recover the last time and this too shall pass but the first time that that happens you don't have that experience or that that kind of knowledge so there's a there's the fear of being afraid as well mm-hmm. um, that has to be unpacked in all of this process and mm. that's important as well and and I think that that one of the things that you listeners should pay attention to is that a lot of the coping tools that we're going to be talking about, and and a lot of this is um, something that you will have experienced or have already experienced, and we label it as imposter syndrome. But it is completely, that imposter syndrome is basically anxiety about writing and depression about your skill level as of, uh, as a writer, all in a really ugly little bundle. <laughs> Life is a terrible user um, interface. We, sorry. Um, no, please. I, I, part, of, part of what strikes me about, like, some of the corners of Twitter that you mentioned was always, like, people are mentioning, like, there's this narrative that you can concur your fears and that you can, like, this is, like, kind of a battle. You're at war with, like, your fears, your depression, and then there's this kind of definite victory. And I'm like... This isn't how this works. Like, you're afraid and you still write. This is how this works. Like, it's, you know, it's what you mentioned about cycles. It's like, it's always there lurking somewhere. And then you have to, either it's like very strong or very weak, but then you have to find tools to deal with that. Yes, because it isn't a linear progression. And there are so many narratives that we're kind of fed. Yeah, exactly. It's not a video game. There are so many narratives where you you encounter that monster and then you you can go and find the thing that would enable you to go and destroy the monster and then everyone lives happily ever after. But it's it's like doing that over and over and over and over and over again until you die. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really sorry about that. (laughs) Really like the Oregon Trail. Fantastic. I I have some very specific questions I want to ask, but uh, this is a great time to break. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. First for Book of the Week. 
Oh, everyone's looking at me. Um, so <laughs> the book of the week that um, I feel slightly embarrassed about suggesting because it's my own is After Atlas. And that is a sci-fi crime. And it's set 80 years in the future. And it follows a detective, Carlos Moreno, who has been assigned to investigate the murder of a cult leader. And the reason he's been assigned is because he escaped that cult when he was a child. But also because he isn't an average detective. He's an indentured slave to a corporation. And so as he unravels the mystery behind the death of the cult leader, he is also processing a lot of issues. It is a fantastic book. I uh, recently got, a, got my hands on a copy of it and basically was like, oh, great, Emma's got a new book. I'm just going to read the first chapter. I have to pee now because I've been sitting in this chair for days. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really good. Highly recommend it. And and I, I also have to say that um, you do not have to have read the previous book, I think, no. to read this one. You can step into it cold. There's obviously some nuance that you'll get from having read the previous one, but absolutely, it, it stands on its own. It's fantastic. Thank you. Awesome. So it's After Atlas by Emma Newman. And what was the, the first book called? The first book is Planet Fall. So they're both Planet set Fall. in the same universe, but they are genuinely standalone. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you very much. All right. So I would love you to tell us some of these specific things like you did did in the talk. What are some of the reasons that we don't write? Uh, So what I think of when I talk about the fear that underpins procrastination is that procrastination is kind of symptomatic of something that lies beneath. And so it can take all sorts of forms, but it's the roots that are important. And I see that there are kind of three primary roots and then lots of little sub ones but the three primary ones are um, unprocessed wounds from one's past uh, the fear of failure and the fear of success and perfectionism is kind of like clinging onto the coattails of all of these but those are the, the main kind of roots of where it all comes from and if you start to kind of unpack all of those then um, you can increase your own conscious awareness of what is actually happening, what is causing the procrastination behavior. And then I have kind of practical tools for like once you've figured out some of it or even before you've figured it out consciously, things you can actively do to um, be able to work despite the fear. One of the most difficult ones for uh, folks often to to wrap their heads around is the fear of success. And uh, it's it's related to uh, the the paralysis of choice that happens when you're at a buffet and everything is delicious, but you do just have to pick one. Um, If you succeed, suddenly you will have to make a decision about, about whether to pursue this as a career or perhaps whether to quit the day job. Um, It, it opens a door and you know, our, our caveman ancestors, when they opened the door and stepped outside, well, there wasn't a door, but when they stepped outside, uh, the first thing they had to do was make sure they weren't going to get eaten by something new. And success is scary. It's a, it, it opens a whole new world of things to be afraid of. It does. And, and for me, the fear of success is very much having to leave the house. <laughs> I, I hate leaving the house. I'm on a cruise ship. I'm on a stage in front of people. So there's a bit of me now that is absolutely furious that I have done things that have brought me into this situation, even though (laughs) I welcome this and I love it and I'm very happy to be here and I've had a fabulous week. And it's that kind of weird, they live against each other and rub against each other, that you are actively working to invite these things in 
that you also maybe don't want. This mm-hmm. is not my natural state. My natural state is to be alone at home writing where no one can see me. I hate being seen. And so that is where the fear mm-hmm. of success plays out worse for me. Awesome. So, so you said you had some specific tools. What is one, for example, with fear of success that, that you can give our listeners of how to deal with that? Uh, so for me, I think about... Um, whether I would be able to live with myself if I allowed the fear to win and didn't achieve the goals that I have. Um, and so it's, it's kind of a, well, you can, you can stay at home. You know, thank, thank you, fear, for wanting mm-hmm. to keep me safe and being at home. But am I genuinely going to be happy in that state? Or am I going to be there on my deathbed regretting everything? And so I kind of use one kind of fear and repurpose it and fire it at the other fear. So the fear of living with regret often outweighs the fear of having to go and do all of this. And I also remind myself that a lot of the things that I actively fear are all totally manufactured by my awful brain. And so I actively remind myself intellectually that this is not real. It's like somebody said to me this week, oh, it's like Labyrinth when she turns and says, you have no power over me, that there is an element of that process going on. Um, and it's really hard. And sometimes I will be really grumpy with my husband for days because I have to leave the house at the end of the week and go and be in front of people. And then I go, oh, it's because I've got to leave the house and go and be in front of people. I'm really sorry. <laughs> that is brilliant, using, using fears against each other. They deserve it. Yeah, if, if, you have, if you have one problem, you need to find a solution. If you have two problems, make them fight. <laughs> yep. I divide the world. It's like tried and tested programming world. <laughs> well, not only, but... All right, I, I want to try this, and maybe this will be a disaster. But, um, Aliette, why don't you give us some of the reasons that you find to not write, and we'll see what, what Emma can do to, to help. Um, there's always something that needs to be done in the house, oddly enough. You know, there's laundry to be done, and maybe I should prepare the meal for the kids, and then maybe I, I will sit down at my computer and I will like go, maybe I can go on to Twitter because I need a break now. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Twitter. Mm-hmm. It, it always, it never ceases to amaze me how pressing those domestic chores become at the moment you're about to start writing. You know, <laughs> I can ignore a pile of laundry for days until the moment comes when I really have to sit down and finish that thing. Um, and I think there is also um, a dialogue we have to have with ourselves about giving ourselves permission to be selfish and to not mm. give all of our time to the domestic sphere and to our families and to all of the other people in our lives and to say, no, it is okay to carve out this time and to have this time just for my work. Um, mm. But yeah, mostly I'm driven to domestic chores when I am actively trying to run away from the writing. It's not so much being driven towards them, it's actively sprinting away from the looming word count need behind me. Um, but again, in those situations, I always say, become aware of it. If you stop yourself, if, you, if you're in the middle of washing up and saying, well, why am I doing this at this time when it is the designating time I was going to write? <laughs> Becoming aware that you're actually being a victim of the fear and then saying, no, I would actually like to negotiate now and saying, okay, I'm afraid of this. Is this something I genuinely need to be afraid of? Can you negotiate with it? And sometimes can you trick yourself? Because sometimes, you know, I find myself being terrified that the next book I'm going to write is going to be a terrible failure. And so I trick myself into saying, well, no, I'm not actually writing my next book. I'm just messing about with the first scene. That is not what I have to worry about. And you kind of trick yourself you trick your own fears 
sometimes I, I have two tricks that I use when I'm, I'm sitting down to write and then suddenly find myself in the kitchen doing the dishes, which happens a lot. Um, one of them is a, a phrase that my, my therapist gave me when, when I was going in first. Uh, and she said, what advice would you give to a friend who was going through this? And I was like, oh, oh that's a dirty trick. Because, <laughs> because I do, in fact, know the answer to these things. Mm. Um, I just forget that I can apply that advice to myself. Um, so that's one thing. And the, the other thing is um, that I will say, well, why don't you sit down and write about why you're not writing? Mm. And yep. um, I'm like, okay, so what are the barriers that stand between me and the next scene that I need to write? And eventually what winds up happening is that I start noodling on the scene and then suddenly my, the, the part of my brain that is delighted by writing is like, oh, wait, 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 can I have the driver's seat now? And, and away I go. Yeah, mm. you no, can I'm... tailor it to whatever the fear is, but I, I do genuinely believe that a lot of it is either uh, negotiating like adults or cajoling a toddler, and it's somewhere <laughs> between the two, the kind of the inner toddler, like, well, I know you don't really want to do this now, but if you do this then, and then you can reward yourself. But it, the, the key is to try to constantly experiment and to be agile in your negotiations with your own fears. My, uh, the place where I notice fear the most in my own work is when I am moving from pencils to inks. I've laid down a bunch of pencil, and now I need to begin inking, which is the point at which I am committing to Uh, one of these many, many lines and deciding that the rest of them are wrong. mm. Um, And we could brand that as a fear of commitment if we wanted to tell a joke that's been told a million times. It's really the fear of being wrong. Yeah. It's the fear of having made the wrong decision. And the thing that broke me out of this was... I found a good source of white gel pens. And I tell myself, you know what? It's, I'm not actually committing. If this line is wrong, I'll just color over it with some white and make another line. Will Eisner did that, and he was using white paint and scraps of paper glued to his comic. I've seen those originals. The best people do this. I, I'm not actually committing. And then I will sit down and, and burn through white pens like they're candles. <laughs> well, and that's the... I actually have this file that's called like bits and pieces of the story. I will like put bits and pieces that I cut out, but also like the bits and pieces where I'm just noodling. And I'm like, you know what? It's not, I'm not really writing, right? And the funny thing is with all the bits and pieces that I'm cutting out, they never make it back into the draft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all the noodling actually does. So like, <laughs> this is just a crutch. I don't care. It gets me writing. Yeah, yeah. I, I just finished a huge revision pass on one of my novels, and I did that. I kept, because, you know, my editor says, cut this, it's unnecessary, but I love it. So instead of deleting it, I put it in a different folder, and that kind of gives me permission to cut it out of the main work, and I know I'm never going to go and use it, but now I have permission to cut it out of the work. I was just working on something that needed to be 45 seconds long, and I got it down to 60 seconds, and I'm like, oh, but I'm gonna, I, I love these two lines that I have to cut to get it to 45. So I just turned in a 60-second version and a 45-second version. I'm like, I'll let them make the choice about that. And they chose the 45-second version, and it's fine. Like, you don't miss the two lines. But I couldn't cut them myself. Mm-hmm. I had to let someone else do it. Um, which is often, yeah. often what it means by just putting it over in the folder. 
So I'm sure, you know, five authors up here, we could talk for hours about all the reasons we don't do stuff, but we need to be, we need to be done with the episode. So uh, Emma, do you have some homework for us? Uh, yes. So aside from unpacking your own fears and working very hard on trying to overcome those, um, I would like to invite you to read a poem called The Listeners by Walter de la Mare. It was mentioned in a talk yesterday by Jasper Ford and it reminded me of how much I love it. I'd like to invite you to read it and to write the backstory that is implied in the poem. Nice. Okay, that is The Listeners by... Walter de la Mare. Awesome. So that is excellent homework. This is Writing Excuses. You are out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.